0: Chapter twelve of The Breaking Point by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. During all the long night, Dick sat by David's bedside. Earlier in the evening, there had been a consultation. David had suffered a light stroke, but there was no paralysis, and the prognosis was good. For this time, at least, David had escaped. But there must be no other time. He was to be kept quiet and free from worry. His diet was to be carefully regulated, and with care he still had long years before him. David slept, his breathing heavy and slow. In the morning there would be a nurse, but that night Dick, having sent Lucy to bed, himself kept watch. On the walnut bed lay Dr. David's portly figure, dimly outlined by the shaded lamp, and on a chair drawn close sat Dick. He was wide awake and very anxious. But as time went on and no untoward symptoms appeared, as David's sleep seemed to grow easier and more natural, Dick's thoughts wandered. They went to Elizabeth first, and then on and on from that starting point through the years ahead. He saw the old house with Elizabeth waiting in it for his return. He saw both their lives united and flowing on together, with children, with small cares, with the routine of daily living, and behind it all the two of them hand in hand then his mind turned on himself how often in the past ten years it had done that he had sat off with a sort of professional detachment and studied his own case with the entrance into his world of the new science of psychoanalysis he had made now and then small not very sincere attempts to penetrate the veil of his own unconscious devising not very sincere for with the increase of his own knowledge of the mind He had learned that behind such conditions as his lay generally, deeply hidden, the desire to forget, and that behind that there lay, acknowledged or not, fear. But to forget what, he used to say to David, when the first textbooks on the new science appeared, and he and David were learning the new terminology, Dick eagerly, and David with contemptuous snorts of derision, to forget what? You had plenty to forget, David would say stolidly. I think this man's a fool, but at that, you'd had your father's death, for one thing, and you'd gone pretty close to the edge of eternity yourself. You'd fought single-handed the worst storm of ten years, you came out of it with double pneumonia, and you lay alone in that cabin about fifty-six hours. Forget, you had plenty to forget. It had never occurred to Dick to doubt David's story. It did not, even now. He had accepted it unquestionably from the first, supplemented the shadowy, childish memories that remained to him with it, and gradually coordinating, the two had built out of them his house of the past. Thus the elderly man whom he dimly remembered was not only his father, he was David's brother. And he had died. It was the shock of that death, according to David, that had sent him into the mountains, where David had followed and nursed him back to health. It was quite simple, and even explicable by the new psychology. Not that he had worried about the new psychology in those early days. He had been profoundly lethargic, passive and incurious. It had been too much trouble even to think. True, he had brought over from those lost years certain instincts and a few mental pictures. He had had a certain impatience at first over the restrictions of comparative poverty. He had had to learn the value of money. AND THE PICTURES HE RETAINED HAD HAD A CERTAIN OPULENCE WHICH THE FACTS APPEARED TO CONTRADICT. THUS HE REMEMBERED A LARGE RANCH HOUSE AND INNUMERABLE HORSES, GRAZING IN MEADOWS OR MILLING IN A CORRAL. BUT DAVID HAD WARNED HIM EARLY THAT THERE WAS NO ESTATE, THAT HIS FUTURE DEPENDED ENTIRELY ON HIS OWN EFFORTS. THEN THE NEW LIFE HAD CAUGHT AND HELD HIM. FOR THE FIRST TIME HE HAD MOTHERING AND LOVE. LUCY WAS HIS MOTHER, AND DAVID THE PATTERN TO WHICH HE MEANT TO CONFORM. He was happy and contented. Now and then in the early days he had been conscious of a desire to go back and try to reconstruct his past again. Later on he knew that if he were ever to fill up the gap in his life, it would be easier in that environment of once familiar things. But in the first days he had been totally dependent on David, and money was none too plentiful. Later on, as the new life took hold, as he went to medical college and worked at odd clerical jobs and vacations to help pay his way, there had been no chance. Then the war came, and on his return there had been the practice and his knowledge that David's health was not what it should have been. But as time went on he was more and more aware that there was in him a peculiar shrinking from going back, an almost apprehension. He knew more of the mind than he had before and he knew that not physical hardship but mental stress caused such lapses as his. But what mental stress had been great enough for such a smash? His father's death? Strain and fear, said the new psychology. Fear? He had never found himself lacking in courage. Certainly he would have fought a man who called him a coward. But there was cowardice behind all such conditions as his, a refusal of the mind to face reality. It was weak, weak, He hated himself for that past failure of his to face reality. But that night, sitting by David's bed, he faced reality with a vengeance. He was in love, and he wanted the things that love should bring to a normal man. He felt normal. He felt, strengthened by love, that he could face whatever life had to bring, so long as it also brought Elizabeth. Painfully he went back over his talk with David the preceding Sunday night. Don't be a fool, David had said. Go ahead and take her if she'll have you. And don't be too long about it. I'm not as young as I used to be. What I feel, he had replied, is this. I don't know, of course, if she cares. David had grunted. I do know I'm going to try to make her care, if it's if it's humanly possible. But I'd like to go back to the ranch again, David, before things go any further. Why? I'd like to fill the gap. Attempted, anyhow. What he was thinking about, as he sat by David's bedside, was David's attitude toward that threatened return of his. For David had opposed it, offering a dozen trivial, almost puerile reasons. Had shown indeed a dogged obstinacy and an irritability that was somehow oddly like fear. David afraid, David whose life and heart were open books, David whose eyes never wavered nor his courage you let well enough alone, Dick,' he had finished. "'You've got everything you want, and a medical man can't afford to go gadding about. When people want him, they want him.' But he had noticed that David had been different since. He had taken to following him with his faded old eyes, had even spoken once of retiring and turning all the work over to him. Was it possible that David did not want him to go back to Norada? He bent over and felt the sick man's pulse— It was stronger, not so rapid. The mechanical act took him back to his first memory of David. He had been lying in a rough bunk in the mountain cabin, and David, beside him on a wooden box, had been bending forward and feeling his pulse. He had felt weak and utterly inert, and he knew now that he had been very ill. The cabin had been a small and lonely one, with snow peaks not far above it, and it had been very cold. During the day a woman kept up the fire. Her name was Maggie, and she moved about the cabin like a thin ghost. At night she slept in the lean-to shed, and David kept the fire going. A man who seemed to know him well—John Donaldson, he learned was his name—was Maggie's husband, and every so often he came, about dawn, and brought food and supplies. After a long time, as he grew stronger, Maggie had gone away and David had fried the bacon and heated the canned tomatoes or the beans. Before she left she had written out a recipe for biscuits, and David would study over it painstakingly, and then produce a panful of burned and blackened lumps, over which he would groan and agonize. He himself had been totally incurious. He had lived a sort of animal life of food and sleep and later on of small tentative excursions around the room on legs that shook when he walked. The snows came and almost covered the cabin, and David had read a great deal and talked at intervals. David had tried to fill up the gap in his mind. That was how he learned that David was his father's brother, and that his father had recently died. Going over it all now, it had certain elements that were not clear. They had, for instance, never gone back to the ranch at all. With the first clearing of the snow in the spring, John Donaldson had appeared again leading two saddled horses and driving a pack-animal, and they had started off, leaving him standing in the clearing and gazing after them. But they had not followed Donaldson's trail. They had started west, over the mountains, and David did not know the country. Once they were lost for three days. He looked at the figure on the bed. Only ten years, and yet at that time David had been vigorous, seemed almost young. He had aged in that ten years. On the bed he was an old man, a tired old man at that. On that long ride he had been tireless. He had taken the burden of the nightly camps, and had hacked a trail with his hatchet across snowfields. while Dick, still weak but furiously protesting, Had been compelled to stand and watch now with the perspective of time behind him and with the clearly defined issue of david's protest against his return to the west he went again over the details of that winter and spring why had they not taken donaldson's trail or gone back to the ranch why since donaldson could make it had not other visitors come another doctor the night he almost died and David sat under the lamp behind the close-screened windows and read the very pocket prayer-book that now lay on the stand beside the bed? Why had they burned his clothes and Donaldson brought a new outfit? Why did Donaldson, for all his requests, never bring a razor, so that when they struck the railroad miles from anywhere they were both fully bearded? He brought himself up sharply. He had allowed his imagination to run away with him, He had been depicting a flight, and no one who knew David could imagine him in flight. Nevertheless, he was conscious of a new uneasiness and anxiety. When David recovered sufficiently, he would go to Narada, as he told Elizabeth, and there he would find the Donaldsons and clear up the things that bothered him. After that— He thought of Elizabeth, of her sweetness and sanity. He remembered her at the theatre the evening before— lost in its fictitious emotions, its counterfeit drama. He had felt moved to comfort her when he found her on the verge of tears. Just remember, they're only acting, he had said. Yes, but life does do things like that to people. Not often. The theatre deals in the dramatic exceptions to life. You and I, plain bread-and-butter people, come to see these things, because we get a sort of vicarious thrill out of them. Doesn't anything ever happen to the plain bread-and-butter people? A little jam sometimes, or perhaps they drop it butter-side down on the carpet. But that is tragedy, isn't it? He had had to acknowledge that it might be, but he had been quite emphatic over the fact that most people didn't drop it. After a long time he slept in his chair. The spring wind came in through the opened window and fluttered the leaves of the old prayer-book on the stand. End of chapter 12.